0: How are we going moving back into the Old Testament this year after spending the majority of last year in the book of John? I think it's a bit of a shock to the system going all the way back to Deuteronomy to the Iron Age. That's when these stories are taking place. It's a different age, a different culture and society, a completely different way of life to what we're used to. And that raises all sorts of questions for us. But you've probably noticed our songs this evening have one of the consistent themes has been talking about land. Have you noticed that in the, the songs? I'm sure that's been intentional. Be, because God works in time and place, in the context of human civilization and society. And so we read from Deuteronomy and we see God at work in a very different time and place A time where our understanding of right and wrong and what life looked like was very different to today and so we we put our understanding of what life should look like back into this story and it gets complicated for us. So we're going to wrestle with Deuteronomy this year, we're going to find it hard And we're going to move in and out of Deuteronomy and spend some time in Acts as well, and we'll also be looking at some different topical themes throughout the year too. But Deuteronomy, it's really a book of horizons. So as Moses speaks to Israel, he asks them to look back at the horizon behind them, and he invites them to look ahead at the horizon lying before them, and it's a book that invites Israel to imagine what this new future is going to look like as they enter into this promised land. But it does so only after forcing them to first turn around and reflect on the journey that's been, the mistakes and the failures and the faithfulness of God through that journey. And so the first four chapters of Deuteronomy are focused on that horizon behind Israel, where they have come from where God has brought them from and and they recount key moments in the journey through the wilderness and they're really a calling to Israel to learn and to change and to be formed their words designed to bolster Israel's dependence upon God to give them courage and assurance as they take that next step over the Jordan River to face the giants in the unknown land across the other side. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's pray as we come to uh, God's Word now. <clears throat> Lord God, we, we do pray for your guidance and wisdom as we wrestle with a, a, a text from a different age, written in a different age, a different place, a different, where a different way of life uh, was how society was structured. And, and we struggle with that. We struggle to place ourselves in a different time and place. And yet, Lord, even though some of the specific details might be a little foreign to us, we still see you, our constant, unchanging, faithful, good God, your hand at work, consistently working for goodness and grace and love and beauty in your world. And we pray that we might see some of that tonight, even amidst the the challenges that this this text presents to us, amen. So I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Polynesian history, but it's full of uh, really fascinating stories. Actually, maybe some of you your extent of Polynesian history is watching Moana, the the cartoon <laughs> Disney cartoon Moana, which is a great movie and based on Polynesian history. But the Polynesian people Always had their eyes towards the horizon, so uh, the historical path of the Polynesian people was to move ever eastward across the Pacific island, moving from one island to the, to the next. As they filled and, uh, one, as one island filled up, they set out towards the next island, further eastward. But when they reached Easter Island let's see if this can work. When they reached Easter Island, something changed. You probably recognise these statues from seeing photos of Easter Island. These statues were placed all over the island. So the Easter Islanders came to believe that from the horizon, something terrible was going to come and destroy them. So they became obsessed with building these giant Maui statues, or Maui actually means statues, these giant statues, which they would fight fl- Place all around the island, facing the horizon, to ward off evil. However, in their fearful obsession of the unknown, they chopped down all their vegetation to create scaffolding so they could carve the stone statues out of the rock and to help with moving the statues around the island. And in a short space of time, with few resources left and no vegetation, with bird life not coming to the island anymore, The society fell apart and was largely wiped out by violence, disease and cannibalism. And I find it a a really fascinating story in lots of ways. It's tragic, tragic but fascinating. Partly because it, it shares, it reminds me a little bit of the story that we read a moment ago of Israel. Israel, as they stood on the brink of the Promised Land and cast their eyes to the horizon... And remember, Moses is talking to one generation about what took place 40 years ago with the last generation. As they stood there, looking to the horizon, they were frozen by fear and they chose to see the giants looming before them rather than the God who had been walking beside them and before them in a pillar of cloud and fire. Another reason why both these stories fascinate fascinate me is that I think they reveal so much of the human heart, our heart too. Yes, it's a different time and place, but I'm not sure that the hearts of humans change that much. We often live in fear of the horizon, afraid of what might be, unsure of stepping forward into times of change or uncertainty, And the questions posed in this passage are relevant to us today because as as we look to the horizon, we're invited too to listen to the voice of God and we're not going to be asked to do anything like what Israel did, but God calls out to each generation in their time and place to look back and to look forward and to step forth in faith. So our passage opens with Moses retelling these events from the past and as Israel stands ready to cross the Jordan River, Moses points back to the last time they stood in this same situation. Many of the people he was, he's speaking to now stood there as children, some of them had not been born all those 40 years ago. But this is the new generation. And the first thing that Moses reminds them of is that those 40 years ago, God called them to go into the land with courage and take possession of it. But though the land was good and full of delight, the people of Israel froze in fear. And why? Well, the spies came back and said this to Israel, or at least this is what the people heard. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. And we hear that and think, Anakites? What, what does that mean? Well, the, this land of Canaan was fertile land, but it was also filled with warrior tribes. Life in this region was war and battle, scrapping for land. And the Anakites and the Amorites were notorious for their strength and size, fearsome. Renowned throughout the land, they were well trained in battle and were ruthless with their enemies. And we get another little picture, a hint at Israel's fear in verse thirty-nine. I don't know if you picked this up in the reading. It says Israel was scared that their little ones would be taken captive. It's important for us as we come to Deuteronomy to to understand the extent of evil in the land of Canaan because it helps us to grapple with these big questions of why Israel was afraid and why God was using Israel as a tool of judgment upon Canaan. And that's something we struggle with and will be wrestling with in Deuteronomy. But as well as slavery, one of the defining characteristics of Canaanite culture was human sacrifice and most specifically child sacrifice in the book of Genesis, God says to Abraham that he'd give his family this land of Canaan. But the evil of the Canaanites had not yet reached its fullness. In other words, God was going to be patient with Canaan, to, to give them time to repent and turn from their evil. Over 400 years, he was patient with them. But this, this was now a nation up to its neck in the blood of innocent people. Utter abominable evil stemming from the worship of false gods, generation after generation of entrenched evil. When we hear that, it's no wonder Israel were afraid. Afraid for themselves, afraid for their children. And we need to understand, we would have been absolutely terrified. The problem for Israel, though, was, was not that they were afraid, but that all they saw was their fear. So there's this really interesting contrast between what Moses describes about Israel's journey and what the people saw. So as, as you listen to Moses' words in, in this passage, and it's, it's worth going over it again, listen to what he sees. Moses saw a land of promise. He saw a God who'd fought for them in battle and won victory after victory against their enemies in the wilderness, who'd rescued them from the hands of Egypt. He saw a God who was a loving father, carrying them to safe lands. He saw God as a constant companion with them, beside them and before them by day and by night in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. But what did the people see as they looked to the horizon? Well, in verse 27, they say this, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Moses and the people had two very different pictures of God, two very different interpretations of what had taken place on their journey. But they both experienced exactly the same events. But the people chose to only see the fearful giants before them, while Moses saw the hand of God guiding and protecting them in faithful love. For Moses and Caleb and Joshua, the faithfulness of God was bigger than the giants on the other side of the Jordan. But for the people, the giants were too big. Too big for them and too big for their little picture of God. Then the passage takes a bit of a turn as Moses recounts this sort of irony that takes place that after trembling and grumbling and refusing to enter the land, God gives Israel what they want. Instead of going into the promised land, they're condemned to wander in the wilderness until the next generation grows up. But on hearing these words, on coming face to face with the consequences of their choice, the people do this about turn and i'm a little i'm a little bit bewildered because if you look at the geography of where israel stood it's either go into the promised land or hang out in the wilderness for until you're ready to go in there weren't a lot of choices so when they realize the consequences of their decision they turn around and they suddenly become afraid of the consequences, not so much of the giants lying before them. And so they rush into the land, even though God's commands to them had changed. And they're given a solid beating and sent away licking their wounds. So it's interesting that in this passage, the entering of the land is described both as obedience in one moment and disobedience in In another. What changes is not the size of Israel's army or the size of the enemy army or the weapons being used, but whether God is with them or not. So, having refused to enter the land, God turns his attention towards the long journey of formation. Israel needs to learn trust and dependence if they're ever going to be a light to the nations. That Israel in their ignorance thought they could force God's hand and, and painfully discover that unless God is present with them, their original fears of those giants were absolutely founded. And this really, I think, sets up for us the pattern of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is about seeing and hearing. We're going to come across those words a lot. Deuteronomy is an encouragement for Israel to see God's presence with them as they embark into the unknown land and listen to the voice of God. But Israel's future depends not just upon God being with them, but on them believing and trusting that this is so. And Israel is called to express this belief in actions that include risk and require courage. And so right back here in Deuteronomy, Scripture sets up this conversation between faith and sight, inviting us to walk by faith and to look for God's hand in all circumstances. But now, as Moses speaks, we step forward 40 years. And as Moses retells these stories from the horizon behind them, he does so with this new generation. Those very little ones that Israel was so afraid of losing are now grown up. And they stand before the promised land with God calling to them to step into the horizon with eyes of faith. The same giants loom there, the same fears, the same challenges, walled cities and mighty warriors, the possibility of death and pain. What will this new generation do? Will they go in or or turn away? Will their horizon be overcome with the giants before them? Or will they see the pillar of cloud and fire, God's presence going before them and with them? And here, I think Israel receives a wonderful gift of grace. I mean, we look on the 40-year wilderness journey as a, as a punishment, or a judgment on Israel, and it was that, but it was also so much more. God was preparing them for a chance at redemption, an opportunity to experience another 40 years of God's companionship and guidance, and love. A chance to learn and be formed with eyes of faith, and to fill their history, to fill their storybooks with stories of God's magnificent, loving protection that they could retell and draw courage from. And so this new generation of Israel, these children who have grown up, who have only known life with God visibly present with them, They're given a chance to hear the voice of God, as their parents did, and to respond in obedience. Will they? Well, in some ways, that's the question of Deuteronomy. One that doesn't get answered by the end of the book. And as we read on through Scripture, we find that the answer is probably, well, yes and no. One of the ways that we can take a passage like this and learn from it today is to trace similar moments through Scripture and and see what God is teaching in different times and places, looking for recurring patterns. And there are many moments in Scripture where God's people stand on the edge of the unknown, afraid and unsure, overwhelmed by the giants standing before them. And it's fascinating actually to see how these same themes of God's presence and the conversation between faith and sight keep arising in all of those stories. So one example that comes to mind is in the book of John. We read this passage last year in John 14. The disciples are in the upper room and Jesus says, I'm about to go away and you can't come with me. And they're terrified and deeply troubled. They have no idea what the future holds for them. Jesus comforts them by saying, don't be afraid, have courage, I will be with you. Almost the exact words of Deuteronomy. In fact, Jesus says, I'm sending the Spirit so that we will always be together. Hear my voice, see with eyes of faith, Jesus says. Another example that comes to mind is what we heard earlier from the book of Mark, where Jesus himself stands in the Garden of Gethsemane at the edge of a terrifying horizon and is overwhelmed by fear of what lies ahead. Like Israel, the giants, the torturers of Rome, the mocking crowds, the Roman authorities, death and suffering, they're all very real and terrifying. But the one difference in Jesus' response to that of Israel are these words, yet not my will, but yours be done. I wonder what Israel's story would have been if that had have been their words too. Jesus trusts his father going before and beside him, and that his father is bigger than those giants. I think there's a pattern here for God's people to learn from in every time and place. In every generation, God's people will face moments where we stand on the edge of a new season, a new opportunity, a new challenge, and we're asked to peer into that horizon and respond in faith. We might not realise it, but there are many of these moments lying before us as God's people today. Today, Jill very kindly sent me through an article the other day, 10 Questions That Will Shape 2050. It was part of that link you sent through. And it's exploring, it's an article that's exploring some of the giants lying on the horizon that God's people will, will face and are already beginning to face. Questions like, what does it mean to be human? What does faithfulness look like in a digital world? Where does hope lie for a world that is despairing? What does church look like in a changing world? We heard earlier of what's happening in Turkey and Syria and the giants looming on the horizon for the people there and the giants that we can't even begin to comprehend for people living in different circumstances to our own around the world. At a more local level, our churches here in Springwood and Wynmalee are asked to continue looking to the horizon and asking, what is God inviting us into? Where will we need the courage to trust a big, big God so that we might walk into new seasons without being overcome by anxiety or turn on one another in anger? And even as we ask those, those big questions as God's church, we, all, we also have the giants looming in our own lives. Perhaps we feel compelled by God to step into a new adventure and maybe that looks unsettling and disruptive and scary and those giants are looming mightily in our anxious thoughts. Perhaps we find ourselves forced into a new situation that we never anticipated and would never have chosen one that's fraught with fear. Perhaps the toll of age and diagnosis of illness causes you to fear for the future and your nights are filled with thoughts of giants looming over you. What keeps you awake at night? What wakes you up at 2am in the morning? What are the fears? I think as well as all this, we often, like Israel, live as if people are bigger than God as well. We're overcome by what others might do, what they might say, how they might hurt us. And sometimes we feel like ants standing before giants as we look at the people around us. We rush to please them, we scurry to avoid conflict. And instead of seeing the hand of God and and listening to his voice, we see the pointing finger of our human accusers and hear the voice of the people who we fear. We make them bigger than they are and grow them into the looming giants in our imaginations that outweigh the steadfast love of God. And when that happens, we freeze, we give up, We cease seeking the ways of the Lord and chase the whims of the world. And yet, Scripture tells us if we're going to feel ant-sized anywhere in life, it should only be before God. God walks beside and before us. His hand has been at work in our lives, and we can each tell stories of that, and in the lives of the generations before us, The stories of Deuteronomy are our stories too. Stories of God working out His purposes and carrying us through the wilderness of life with loving, fatherly arms, if we allow ourselves to see it. But like Israel, it's so easy to forget the steady hand of God when the giants loom over us and fill our vision. It's it's no accident that As Moses prepares Israel for the horizon before them, the challenging times that are coming, he invites them to look back and fills their minds with memories and visions of God's faithfulness. He points out to them all the things that they simply cannot see because of their fear. So we, as this family of God's people gathered together, God calls us to a task in serving one another, by pointing each other to the stories of God's faithfulness in Scripture and in our lives, so that God becomes as big in our imaginations as He is in reality, and so that the giants take their rightful place under Him. And the greatest story of all is to keep on telling of Jesus' victory over the giants in his life, death, resurrection and continuing today through the work of the Spirit. We've got a richer story than the Israelites ever had. They had stories of God saving them from Egypt, some of the human enemies that they faced along the way, providing for them in the wilderness. But we have the story of God in flesh who has brought every giant to their knees. And we have the gift of the spirit to lean upon, nudging us towards courage and faith, reminding us of how big our God is. So may we encourage each other as a family, point each other to how we see God at work in one another's lives. Be brave in sharing that with one another, May we talk about those beautiful moments of God's grace that we experience in the day to day because that's a gift to other people. May we pray that the imagination of this community might be filled with a God who is bigger than all the giants, a God who came in flesh to defeat them all so that we can step forth in faith into the horizon before us, looking at the horizon with a hope bigger than our fears. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, I know I find myself scared a lot of the time when I think about the horizon. Uh, I suspect we all have things that frighten us, At times where we feel out of control and 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 completely unsure, overwhelmed. And those giants, we can't seem to get them out of our heads. Lord God, we live in a world where we are constantly brought news of trouble and all all that is bad that is going on in the world so that those giants are, are, are propped up and built up and blown up. And Lord, we pray that you might continue through your spirit to remind us and fill our visions and imaginations and memories with stories of your goodness and faithfulness. May you give us eyes to see your hand at work so that your goodness outweighs the giants before us. Lord, may your Spirit be at work in this community, making us a people who encourage and point one another to your goodness and bigness. Amen.